There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, then you know this program is a thought leadership platform to help people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately use in your life or work. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at elisecortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's open a conversation, explore what's going on for you and see how I might be able to help. Whether you want to learn more about how to develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community to nurture your own passion and purpose, or you'd like me to come speak for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected, and thanks for listening. Now on to this week's program. With us today is Rachel Stewart, the author of Unqualified Success, Bridging the Gap from Where You Are Today to Where You Want to Be to Achieve Massive Success. She started as, as what she calls an unqualified office manager of Titan Restoration of Arizona and rising to executive vice president over the last 10 years, helping to build the company from 2 to $22 million with a primary focus on accountability, profitability, and company culture. In this conversation, she will share some of the most important lessons she's learned from navigating her own journey, confronting what she thought she was unqualified to do, and stepping into how she could create the person and success she aspired for. She joins us today from Mesa, Arizona. Rachel, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Me too. I'm so glad we found each other. And as I've told you now a couple of times, I loved your book and I can't wait to share it with your with our listeners. I think that anybody who's been listening for a while will really get some real value out of it. So let's open with who you are, you, who your book really serves. And so you told me in our opening conversation that it's for anyone on a growth trajectory and likely feeling unqualified for that next level. And you say that this does not mean that you're unqualified for that level, but the aim of the book is to help readers gain awareness of the important differentiation and then manage any feelings of insufficiency in order to do the work in the world that you want. And I love that. So managing mindset, fear, all the different things we're going to talk about today. So kudos on really creating a really tremendous piece of literature. Oh, thank you. Well, I think the feeling of unqualification is pretty universal, um, and it doesn't just stem, you know, it does, isn't contained to our work life, you know. I, I often feel very unqualified to be a parent or to do a lot of different things. So <laughs> yes. the question is, like, what do we do with that feeling of unqualification? And, you know, if we can build tools and habits around th- those feelings and, com- and combat it, then we can do really amazing things in the world. I really agree with that. And just quickly, um, since so much of what I'm up to in the world is to empower and inspire people to live their best, fullest possible life that is full of passion, inspiration, and purpose, yeah, you're always going to be growing and stepping into new territory to get there. So we need your wisdom, your experience, and your tools to get there. So that's why I was so happy to have you on the show. 
Yeah, well, it's really exciting to be talking about it. So Yeah, and it's important. We do need to talk about it. And and what there was just so many great pearls. And I'm going to go about our conversation a little bit differently than I normally do because I really felt that the way that you created your work, there's so many quotable things in there. So listeners, as we go through this conversation, I am going to be quoting and engaging Rachel in various pieces of conversation just because of the quotes and where they start from. So one of them is, you cite um, a woman named Michelle Craig as having said, quote, each of us, if we are honest, feels a gap between who we are and where and who we want to become. We yearn for greater personal capacity. These feelings create an urgency to act, end quote. So what's cool about that for me is this totally aligns with what Viktor Frankl and other existential psychologists say, and that's my space, that the tension between who we are and aim to become is actually essential for well-being. Can you say more yeah. about where you're coming from on that? Yeah, so I think that the yearning that each of us have inside of us to reach for something bigger can be a powerful motivator if we let it. And, you know, at a very basic level, it's what gets us out of the bed in, in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but then if we can harness it on even, like, deeper levels, um, it's the driving factor that can help us reach our dreams and go from one step after the next and to me it's it's not something that is ever dormant it doesn't stop for me so once I hit one goal or one dream then it's constantly on me okay I, I want that next I want, I want whatever's next and so if we harness that it can be such a powerful motivator to keep us you know engaged in what we really want in our life. Yeah, and, and that the question is if, and we're going to get to some of that a little bit later in the conversation because that's critical. Um, but your first, your own story is interesting and I think an example of what we're talking about here. I mean, you you talk about in your book of becoming a bookkeeper in 2008 at the beginning of the recession after you've had three of your four children naturally with no pain medication, I might add. Um, wow. Um, that is a, an incredible testament and expression of the concepts in your book, I think. So for our readers who don't yet know you as I do, having read your book, can you give us just a little bit of a sketch of how you ended up entering the workforce in 2008 and what, and under what circumstances and kind of what's evolved from there? Yeah, so I was a stay-at-home mom. Like you said, I had three little kids. And so most of my life I was spending keeping tiny humans alive and I did a little bit of dabbling um, with some graphic design and book layout on the side, but primarily I was, you know, washing faces and and folding laundry and um, but and we had just bought a home um, and we were kind of living the American dream, just plugging away. Um, but the Great Recession of two thousand eight hit, and my husband lost his job, and we lost half the value in our home basically overnight. Um, so we were left trying to kind of figure out what we were going to do and how we were going to uh, make things work. So I had kind of an opportunity that, that presented itself. Um, at, at the time, I hadn't even necessarily made the decision that I was going back to work. We had talked about it. Um, my husband wanted to start his own business, and we knew that that was going to require some capital. Um, so anyway, I had an opportunity to take a job as a bookkeeper. I, was, I wasn't really uh, qualified to do that or be an office manager, but... Um, one thing that I had developed in my life was the ability to figure things out. And I, so I guess I just dived in and, and got back into the workforce and figured out that I, I could figure it out along the way. And it has just opened the door to so many opportunities and so much growth. And so it, it, it has been a blessing in so many ways. 
Well, and I think you're incredibly humble about that. And 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 again, what's so great about what you've done is you in your book have taken us along for that ride, that journey. And it's 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 a great journey to be on, uh, listeners. So when you pick up her book, I'm telling you, um, it, it's very inspiring. And you have done a lot in the short 11 years that we're we're talking about here. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I it has definitely been um, a fun thing, and, and the latest thing that has been exciting is is starting a technology company, and that has been um, a whole other learning um, adventure, I guess. <laughs> so I feel like you know, just as as I have some things figured out, I'm starting back at the at the bottom of the totem pole again. Um, but that's I think what makes it really fun. We get opportunities to continue to stretch ourselves. That's exactly right. Now, that's on top of your other role, too, in the restoration company? Yeah, that, that's correct. Me yeah. and uh, the owner of that and a couple of other partners, we we, we recognized a need um, in the space we were at. And there was there was a technology gap that just needed to be filled. Like, we, we weren't able to grow our business the way that we wanted to. And so, after some some talking about it for a long time, we, we finally just pulled the trigger and said, okay, let's let's jump into this space and, and start something. So That's amazing. Um, just really quick, let's grab a question from Tiffany here. She wants to know, if you can just answer briefly, Did you? I think I know the answer to this. Did you feel bad for going back to work? She wants to know. She says, I know I did. Um, you know what? I think that that's always a struggle for women, right? Like, you know, it's just such a powerful thing that we do in our, in our homes as we raise our children. Um, but... Um, you know, we have powerful things that we can do out in the world too. So yes, it, it was a struggle. Um, luckily, I had um, family that was close, and so my kids um, were primarily raised by my parents while I went back to work. And then um, we were able to kind of transition into a in-home nanny, and I was able to work from home some more. But um, it, yeah, it is a struggle for sure. Mm-hmm. Beautifully answered. Okay, so the next thing I want to bring us back to here, and you and I talked about this on, in our first call, and you cover it beautifully in your book, but this is the profound importance of mindset. And so say a little bit about your perspective on mindset and how we can manage ours to achieve what we want. Yeah, so this is the very first chapter in my book for a reason. Um, I think it is the foundation that leads to all of our results. And so many times we think that if we take action, then our feelings will change like okay if I get this promotion then I will suddenly feel qualified or if I do this if if I get this next degree or next certification then I'll be I'll feel ready to then go for that the promotion that I've always wanted and I think so many times we have that backwards we're waiting for our feelings to change before we take you know, before we take the next step or we take action thinking that's going to cause our feelings to change. And if we can take a step back and take a look at what thoughts are creating those feelings to begin with, like if we really examine the thoughts and start working on the thought and our mindset, then we're going to have such better results. We're going to be able to come at, a, at it from a place of confidence if that mm. makes sense. So if, if, if you can start with your mindset first, it's, it's going to make all the difference. 
Yeah, and uh, what I would say too, and it, you talk about this a little bit later too, is just that you know, really getting clear about about the the future that you want to you want to live into, and that certainly can generate a feeling that can help you get the right mindset in order to take appropriate actions. I think that that part of your book is extreme. Well, the whole thing is quite quite well done, but that is extremely important and and gives us so much access, Rachel. So I, I love that you started with that first. Thank you. Yeah, thoughts create feelings, and that spurs action. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we get that out of order. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing that you talk about along those lines that I think is also really critical is we as human beings oftentimes fail to understand how our mindset and our thoughts run us automatically. And we are not even aware that we're limiting ourselves or making decisions based on how, you know, our mind is working on our behalf without our say. So I think your point about the need to reexamine our own thoughts about ourselves and what we can do is essential as those thoughts might be, as you say, out of fashion. I love that. Like they have maybe been stuck in your closet for too long and should be just maybe given away to some other home (laughs) (laughs) yes clean out your thought closet (laughs) just do some spring cleaning so so many things that we you know we we think it's part of our identity like this is just the type of person that I am like I'm just not a people person and we say that ourselves like to ourselves all the time like that's a reality but really it's just a thought and then that creates our reality. And if we could change our thought, like that you are a people person or that you have the capacity to become a people person and just switch out that old thought for something new that's more, you know, more fitting and will serve you so much better, will be so much more flattering, you know. Oh, yeah, and, op- and open for some different thoughts. Oh, and open opportunity. I'll, I'll tell you for me, and this is for you, Rachel, and listeners, I can tell you for years I said two things about myself. One, I'm technically challenged and backward, and two, I'm not creative. And <laughs> the world that has opened up by saying, hmm, I don't really know how to do that yet on the computer or, you know, with whatever gadget I'm trying to get going, has opened such a space. And I no longer at all think I'm not creative. Oh, my God, just what I've been able to do this year would never tell you that I'm not creative. So... But I said those things for years and believe them wholeheartedly. Right. And really, we get to believe whatever we want and whatever we believe and whatever we think becomes our reality. So we can very easily change our reality. And I give some tools for that in the book about bridging and some ways that you can do it. Because you can you can say, how can I change the thought when that's just the truth? And we we, we get behind this like it's truth. But, but your brain likes to be right. So if you can switch your thoughts out, then your brain will go to work trying to find evidence of that new thought to prove it correct. And um, anyway, it's... It, to me, that's so fun, right? Like that we're malleable, that we can change and adapt. I think it's fun too. In fact, one of the other things that you say, which I found delightful, is you say everything is, quote, figure outable. <laughs> I think that is terrific. And when you look at the world like that, as you seem to do, Rachel, then yes, everything is possible. Yeah, this actually is something that comes from Marie Forleo, but it's something that I have just grasped onto so heavily because it really can be your superpower. And especially in the world that we live in where um, information is so accessible, like we ha- can have an overflow of information, but you, you can basically Google or YouTube just about anything. And there's really no problem that isn't solvable that you can't 
really kind of dive in and figure out. So if, if you're waiting until you have all the answers, then you're probably never going to get moving. But if you can go, okay, I don't know that, but I'm going to shelve that for right now and know that I can figure it out on the way mm-hmm. and then just get to work. That's it. Let's get to work and roll up our sleeves. And on that note, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Rachel Stewart, who is the author of Unqualified Success, Bridging the Gap from Where You Are Today to Where You Want to Be to Achieve Massive Success. She joins us today from Mesa, Arizona. We've been talking a bit about the first part of her book, especially around mindset. After the break, we'll continue the dialogue and give you more tools and resources. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Rachel Stewart, the author of Unqualified Success, Bridging the Gap from Where You Are Today to Where You Want to Be to Achieve Massive Success. She started as what she calls an unqualified office manager of the Titan Restoration of Arizona and rising to executive vice president over the last 10 years, helping to build a company from 2 to $22 million with a primary focus on accountability, profitability, and company culture. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before we get back into the dialogue, let me recognize recognize one of our one of our listeners online Ben Ben says he wrote in both my parents worked and my grandparents watched me at the time I think it made me a better person what I want to acknowledge about that Ben and the rest of the listeners is that is a perfect example of how mindset works and your choice of choosing your mindset you could feel sorry for yourself and say oh woe is me my parents weren't around but that's not the stance you're taking and I really want to applaud that that is a much more healthy empowering stance to look at the way you were raised so kudos to you Ben so back to us, Rachel. Uh, there is, again, so much I want to be able to pull out of you before before we get off the air together. And I became familiar with the, with the vision concept you talk about in your book a few years ago and use it to consult leaders and individuals who are working to elevate themselves to another level. And uh, you write, and I quote, for anyone with a desire to succeed, make progress in their lives, or simply to feel more qualified, one of the keys will be the ability to manage your future and live from that future rather than the past, unquote. So an example of someone from your book that you might want to further, that you can maybe share with us that would further illustrate that point. There's one in mind that I thought of, but do you have a favorite one? Yeah, so this is actually something I learned from my dad, and it has been so powerful in my life. But um, our minds are powerful machines, and they can go to work creating the reality, making the vision that we have a reality. And so one of my favorite examples of this, and I use it in the book, is Sarah Blakely. And um, when she was selling copiers, 
door to door. So, so the listeners may not, may or may not be aware of her, but she is the founder of Spanx. And um, at one point in her life, she was selling copiers or printers door to door. But she had a vision for where she wanted her life, and she knew what that was going to be, like the kind of disposable income that she would have, the kind of freedom, the opportunities, the impact, like how she would be leading. And she made this very vivid vision um, that she was like really um, would revisit often. And And what that does is your brain doesn't like the disconnect, right? This vision of where, of what we want and where we are. And so subconsciously it will go to work trying to um, like shorten that, that, that uncomfortable gap, right? That disconnect. And so, you know, when opportunities provided itself, when she had this idea um, to do Spanx, uh, then that was, that was, I think, her, her brain going to work, trying to figure out how to do this. And, and then obviously she had to put so much work into it, um, creating this company, but um, it all started with the vision that she had and making that a reality. Mm-hmm. And there's what I always tell people that I'm working with leaders inside organizations, especially is, you know, that if when you, you can create a compelling vision for yourself, that's so inspiring, that's irresistible, it just pulls you into it. That's part of what happens. And that's your opportunity as a human being. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger talks a lot about this, like him doing it, Jim Carrey, he wrote himself a $10 million check. Um, in the future for acting services and you know and this is when he was a starving starving actor and you know somehow that became a reality and and if anybody would have asked hey do you think this is possible do you think that this you know is this realistic that's the other thing is it cannot be realistic it should not be realistic um you know if, if if you're operating from okay what is probable what's realistic Um, you're doing yourself a disservice. I agree completely. In fact, another thing that I have to quote from your book that I just love that's relative to this whole topic, um, you you write, uh, here's a quote, I'm in charge of the vision for my life and I'm, I'm in charge of the outcomes. The future is my property. I own all of it. And when we finally stop coddling and nurturing the unqualified, insecure side of ourselves that wants to abdicate this responsibility and start taking counsel from the part of us that can believe impossible things, that's when things can really start to change. It is only then that a new future is created and becomes available to step into, unquote. That is so crisp, so compelling, and right on. Thank you. I love it because it's empowering. So nothing is is as motivating as personal accountability and being accountable to our own thoughts and our own vision. And when we when we understand that we control it all, then we free ourselves up from being, you know, victims of circumstance or victims of the things around us and and like open the doors to so many so many possibilities. Absolutely. And of course, that's what I'm all about is empowerment and inspiration. So I'm right there with you. Okay, the next thing we got to talk about is grit. Um, The way you talk about it is incredibly what I like to call zingy. Um, So first for our listeners, how do you define grit? So the grit is the ability to stay in discomfort. And it's the mental power required to make the lonely and painful push through the vulnerability and sometimes like really painful and excruciating moments. 
that like precede achievement of any kind. And so it's the ability to be able to be there in the hard place and stay there. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm right there. I, I love that that definition. And then if we go on a little bit further, and this gets really accessible for us, our, the readers and the listeners now, then you go on to tell us that staying in discomfort means directly confronting the three deeply ingrained biological mechanisms of avoiding pain, seeking pleasure, and conserving energy. That was so accessible and brilliant to me. Say a little bit more about those three areas that we're trying to avoid. Yeah, so this is this is ingrained in in who we are, right? It's our survival mechanisms that come from way back when that we are creatures that want to protect ourselves, we want to conserve energy, avoid pain, and what that means is that we survive. So those um, you know ingrained um, mechanisms that we have don't serve us. Uh, they they keep us alive but they don't serve us when we want to reach big and hit our dreams. So what we really have to do is overcome that natural part of ourselves and be able to put that aside and recognize. A lot of it is recognition going, okay, this is just my brain trying to keep me alive. So thank you, brain. Now I'm moving forward. (laughs) Yeah, so it lets us stay alive as, you know, just beings um, on maybe, you know, almost like a, you know, well, I'll just say a biological level, but it doesn't allow us to transcend to our higher selves. For sure, for sure. So, you know, those are things that we have to overcome is our ability to want to play safe or stay in the pack or, um, you know, not be uncomfortable, like avoid pain. Those those type of things are going to be what, what limit you and keep you um, from being what you really could be. Mm-hmm. And now, along those lines, we're getting even closer to what I consider to be some of the real gold in what you created. But here's another another great quote that's going to get us more into this discomfort space to help our listeners gain access to that. So, quote, it turns out that if you have a desire to grow and evolve and are not acting on it, you are already in discomfort. You live with a constant nagging feeling, a dissatisfaction with your life, a persistent unhappiness from not meeting your potential. You are perpetually carrying the discomfort as wasted days and self-contempt, unquote. So, Rachel, I can unequivocally say that I lived and experienced that. I was a member of the very walking dead that I'm living my purpose now to awaken. Um, this was several years ago when I was actually still married, and I was I knew I was not living to my potential, and I hated myself for it, and I was dying a thousand deaths every day in the face of this knowledge. Yeah, so the thing that we have to come to realize is that there's going to be discomfort either way. And so you get a choice between whether you want to live the discomfort of an unfulfilled, unrealized life or the discomfort that comes with really stretching yourself and and reaching outside and and doing things that are scary. Um, And so really that's a personal personal choice. But I, I think you can definitely say that the discomfort that you have in, you know, reaching for your dreams is so like, it's such a better discomfort. There's a payoff that comes with that versus, you know, just look, looking back with regret. Absolutely. And, and we're going to get next into something that I think is critical for our listeners. So listeners, no, no sleeping right now, please listen up. This is really important. Um, so along the lines of what we're talking about here, Viktor Frankl and other existential psychologists like me refer to this state that we're kind of getting to here is is an existential vacuum when there's something missing and we know there's something more than we that we yearn for. 
That's what they call it, the existential vacuum. And here's where it gets really important, listeners. So, Rachel, as you discuss in your book, we humans try mightily to ignore this discomfort by buffering away our feelings of this discomfort. And we do it by overeating, over drinking, spending hours on social media and countless other ways to try to distract from the gnawing discomfort of stagnation. This is so important. So listeners, if you find yourself doing a lot of these things, examine what's under that. So Rachel, say more about this. This is, I think this is a critical concept that you're servicing right here in your book. Yeah, well, we all have our favorite numbing agent. <laughs> and, you know, it's just it's what we go to when we want to avoid the difficult things in our lives. And, you know, sometimes it can be as simple as, okay, you know, scrolling through social media and stuff to avoid making that difficult sales call or doing something that could be a little bit challenging. And and so then we, we buffer and we find other distractions and, and everything. Um, but when you can recognize what your particular numbing agent is and then try to put it in a box it, it can be really helpful. So let's say you are using social media as, as that buffer against doing some hard things and you find yourself on there a lot and you're just mindlessly scrolling, then what you can do is say, okay, I'm only going to check social media between, you know, two and three on Saturday afternoons. And other than that, I'm go- so you, you kind of put some, some uh, things to limit it so, so that you're, you don't, because a lot of these things we, we do unconsciously. And it just becomes habitual for us, and then we we're, we just realize we wasted, you know, a lot of a lot of time doing something that that could have been better spent elsewhere. So trying to put it in a box and and c- contain it a little bit, uh, and recognize what your numbing agents are and when you're you're going to them. What's great about that advice, I think, Rachel, is you're not saying, hey, just stop social media, scrap it all together, throw it out with the bathwater. You're not saying that. You're, you're, you're very distinctly saying you're being very intentional about how to manage how much you allow yourself to be in that kind of a numbing agent or that activity. And I think that's incredibly useful and something that our listeners can really grab hold of and use and bring into their lives. Yeah, and I think intentional is the correct word, right? Because we can't be on all the time. We can't be like at this high level all the time. So there, there are there are times and moments where you're going to need to take a step back and disconnect from some of these things. It's just it's just finding out when you're using it to numb and when maybe it, it's you're intentionally using it as a break from from what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Let's grab our last break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Rachel Stewart, the author of Unqualified Success, Bridging the Gap from Where You Are Today to Where You Want to Be to Achieve Massive Success. She joins us today from Meza, Arizona. After the break, we're going to continue our conversation and specifically talk about fear. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose.
This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Rachel Stewart. She's the author of Unqualified Success, Bridging the Gap from Where You Are Today to Where You Want to Be to Achieve Massive Success. She started as what she calls an unqualified office manager of Titan Restoration of Arizona and has risen to executive vice president over the last 10 years, helping to build the company from 2 to $22 million with a primary focus on accountability, profitability, and company culture. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So as I sort of said before the before we came into this next break, we got to talk about fear, which is such an important elephant in the room when it comes to achieving our next level of wherever we are aspiring for. So once again, Rachel and, and listeners, I have to read a few sentences from the book because they are so witty and perfectly situate how we need to embrace fear. So here we go. Quote, rather than spending all your energy resisting fear, when it shows up with its extra luggage and its suggested list of annoying detours, you can just recognize that it's a necessary part of your human experience, especially when you are taking your life to a new level. Going somewhere? Fear is going too. But fear never gets to drive, never gets the steering wheel. It doesn't get to give directions, question the route, consult the map, or even control the radio. It just gets to sit in back with its headphones on and go for a ride, hitching a lift with you on the way to your dreams. Unquote. Rachel, love that. It's so awesome. What a great way to distinguish fear and take the the smack out of it, right? Yeah, well, I, I definitely think that the sooner we can realize that that's just part of the journey. And anytime we're going to be stepping out and doing something big, there is going to be fear. And so when you can go, okay, you know, it's along for the ride. It's coming. Um, and expose yourself more to to that idea and you know the feelings that come along with fear you can recognize that okay it's not that scary I can just move on and move forward well, the other thing that I think is so brilliant about what you do in that passage, Rachel, again, it aligns with, with logotherapy and existential psychology, especially logotherapy, is the use of humor. Humor is an incredibly useful human tool. And to be able to make fun of fear, this horrible thing that often controls our lives, is pretty powerful. Yeah, well, and often we can look back at it and we can do that really well after the fact so it's being able to to make that part of the present <laughs> that i cuz a, a lot of times can you, you can look back at something and be like i can't believe i was so afraid of this you know and you can laugh at it after the fact um, but making that a more a part of your present like you know real having a sense of humor with it um, i think takes the sting out of it it, it's, it can be a little bit less terrifying Absolutely. And I just got an image. I think it'd be really fun, listeners, if you actually give your your fear a name or, you know, whether it's a passage or something and put it on a, you know, a stuffed elm or something and actually strap it in your car and take it with you to the next big meeting. Wouldn't that be fun? That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Careful. I'm the, I'm, the mind is a terrible thing when it gets undirected, right? I could go on all different kinds of directions See, here. See, and you said in you at one point that you weren't creative. No, and I told that. you before now that I've grasped it totally, so I'm I'm, I'm going for it. But, um, okay, so the, the next fun thing we got to talk about, just right right there up with, with fear, is this other um, F word that's, that's failure, 
Um, and and again, you say failure is, quote, simply the natural result of innovation and creativity as we push past our current boundaries and explore what's still possible, unquote. And that you also say framing failure as the way to the goal rather than an unpleasant detour on the other end of the road can change everything, unquote. Completely agree. Um, any examples that you can help us better understand what those, how those really show up for us? Yeah, for sure. So I, I really love um, something that Mayo Clinic started doing, and it's called the Queasy Eagle Award. <laughs> and they it's given out to ideas that, you know, despite significant effort, a lot of work and inspiration didn't quite make the cut. They just ended up being failure. And so they have this award called the Queasy Eagle, where they celebrate all of these ideas. And what's so cool about that is that it took the shame and embarrassment out of failure and put it where it really should be, which is just, it's just an idea that didn't work, that, you know, we tweak it, we fix it, you know, it's nothing about, it's it's not a statement of our worth or <laughs> any anything else, and it... Um, resulted this queasy eagle award resulted in a significant number of ideas that have now become patents and and have married like these you know it's taken um mayo to a whole other level of innovation because they were they just had this award called the queasy eagle award and they they spent time celebrating it Hmm. Yeah, and I've heard, and you say it in your book, I think, in different ways, too, but I've heard many organizations and leaders that I work with say, yeah, let's fail fast. Let's. How many failures can we actually generate here to get on to the next amazing thing that if we didn't have those failures, we wouldn't ever uncover? For sure, and there's so many stories about that, and you look back, and it's easy to see in other people or in other organizations, and a little bit harder to apply because it feels so personal when it's our failure. Um, but if that's something that we can do often is celebrate celebrating and looking for failure, then you're, we are going to succeed that much faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that might get to one of the other really great points that you and I talked about on the phone as we were talking about what we wanted to discuss. And then, of course, it's in your book. And it's it's vulnerability. And I found what you write about is, is incredibly refreshing, especially as it relates to leaders. Uh, and you say it's good for leaders to have a slight bit of vulnerability, if not a good bit, and not stand in, hey, I've got this all figured out. Why do you think that? Why do you take that stance? Um, well, I think for a couple of reasons. One, I think it gives us a, a space <laughs> to not be perfect, to not have it all figured out. But also, I think what it does for our teams and the people that we're surrounded with, because, you know, they they get to be a part of that journey. They get to be help be the solution to figure it out. They help. They get. There's just so much more energy and and innovation. And when you can approach things from a beginner's mindset, that maybe you know and asking why and what if I, what if this wasn't true or what if I don't know that and that's okay you know and so being able to to lead from that place I think one you get so much more innovation and buy-in from your team but two there's so much less pressure and um, stress I think on you as a leader mm-hmm. I completely agree with all that I appreciate that um as I read your book, there's one thing that I think probably that showed up for me that I resonated with so strongly and why I love your book. And it's I think it's it's what I would call it's human agency. Agency is the idea of how it is we make things happen. 
there's so much in your in your book about being able to make something happen and I, I just want to call that out as really a phenomenal way to describe and distinguish what you've done thank you I yeah I think uh, you know there's I, I think there's a lot of ways to get there um, but I I have found success in in the habits and characteristics that I talk about in my book and the exercises to help build that. And that's the other thing is I think that all of this we can learn along the way. Um, it, it doesn't have to be something that that's built in us or natural. <laughs> like we don't have to be naturally talented in any of these things. Um, there are skills and, and characteristics that can be developed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not that, oh, was I born to be a fantastic human being? And can I be successful or am I you know, doomed to failure? And that goes back kind of the, back to mindset, the growth mindset, which, you know, which trumps the fixed mindset. So I love that, too. And um, the next thing I want to talk about, too, that I think is just so important and, again, speaks to agency and, and making things happen. And it's the idea of showing up. So you say, quote, in a world obsessed with discovering phenomenal talent, there is very little attention paid to the quiet, continuous act of showing up. Phenomenal. Yes, agreed. Say more about that. <laughs> uh, well, I think this is a, a little self-serving, this this part of my book, because I, I don't consider myself um, a strong talent. Um, <laughs> so I don't think I would win that award from, from, for many different things in my life. But one thing that I did um, have the ability to do was to work hard and to show up. And so I saw that a lot in my life. Um, and I got that award a lot, like running uh, cross country and track, you know, I'd get the hardest worker award or whatever. And they're like, eh, you know, she gets out there and tries hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one thing I learned from that is that just by showing up every day, it is amazing what you can actually accomplish in your life. And just being there and putting in the hours and putting in the hard work. Um, I'll take a hard worker over, you know, somebody extremely talented and bright any day of the week. And that's something that I've learned as, as you know, I've been hiring and, and growing my team and everything is, is the, the, those people that are really committed, that are going to come in and dig in and give their heart and, you know, work with passion and everything like that. The, the technical skills, the other things, I, you know, we can train. We can work around that. But that's that's something that, that can't be taught. And mm. I think there's just a lot of power to that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, you know, and to that bit about showing up, um, I really related to that and resonated with it, too, from, from my own experience. And when I do read, read author's work to get prepared for the show, I often try to really make sure I can try this stuff on for myself so I can see how it works and it helps me better speak about it. So for me, what I would showcase about showing up is I have been hosting this radio show for more than four and a half years. And so today you are number episode 247. So I get to continue to show up and continue catalyzing my own thinking and understanding of meaning, purpose, inspiration, motivation in the workplace and in life because I host the show. And I and I've really come to see for me, Rachel, that in doing so, um, this show is an amazing catalyzing platform for me. And I continue to do it because it helps me become a better thought leader, a better speaker, a better practitioner, a better business leader. Um, and, and but if I didn't show up, I wouldn't get that. That's that's awesome. I mean, that that really talks speaks to 
you know, what it is. And, you know, it just the small, simple acts that we do every day, like over a period of time, they start, you know, making a huge impact and, and they can change the trajectory of where we're going. And so um, I, I love that example that you gave. Thank you. I do too. And and one of the other things that I do want to talk about, because we do have a little bit of time to cover it, is it, this is important for our listeners for, for wherever they are. Um, but you you distinguish in your book, you say, quote, start w- w- with where you are, end quote, which has a difference between, which is different than what somebody else might say, which is fake it until you make it. I really like that because it's so much more real. But you say there is a huge difference between a person who plays small and scared because they might be exposed as an ignorant fraud and someone who may not know everything but plays all out because they are 100% confident they can figure it out. That is spectacular. Say more about that. Yeah, so again, this is something that I feel so passionately about, like just, you know, really get in and give it a go. And so yeah, some people say fake it till you make it or start where you are, whatever it is, but there's so much power in just beginning the journey. And then so much can be figured out along the way. And there's there are going to be challenges. And, you know, I, I, um, I'm trying to think back about where I heard this, but somebody once told me that like, what is the most powerful currency or what makes the company the most valuable is how many problems you have solved along the way. (laughs) Mm. And, you know, and I think that that's really what it is. This is just, if if you're waiting till we have it all figured out or there's perfect answers or perfect solutions, you'll never get going and the opportunity will be will pass by and especially the way the world's moving which technology is advancing so fast and innovation happens so quickly and companies are scaling at such a rapid pace like if you're waiting until you have solutions or you feel like you're ready it's gonna be gone and so it's too late i just think yep jump in with both feet and give it a go and if it ends up being you know a queasy eagle (laughs) so be it Uh, but i think more often than not that we'll surprise ourselves with, mm-hmm. with what we can accomplish. Mm-hmm. Got another quick image on that one as you were talking, Rachel. So I got the image of, you know, somebody, any of us standing on the big diving board, scared to death to jump into the deep end. But we, you know, take our left hand, plug our nose, close our eyes, jump off that diving board into the deep end and, you know, just trust that we'll, we'll get there. And I do think it does require a leap of faith to really go for what we want in life. So again, that's so much of why I wanted to share with my listeners and what you've written is, awesome and so helpful thank you yeah um so this is a perfect way for us to to finish the show i think because it showcases so well why i continue to showcase um this show about leaders authors and experts like you you say quote when we set aside our fears and the many reasons we can't do something as we are unqualified to do it we progress personally but simultaneously we we lift others and allow them to rise with us our unqualified success always has a ripple effect. Would you please say more about that? That is beautiful. And I completely agree with that. Yeah. You know, I just think that as we chase our dreams, we give other people the permission to chase theirs. So so often I, I, I think that the people around me go, oh, wow, if she can do it, I can do it, you know, because they, they've been around me enough to know that there's nothing, you know, incredibly special about me. But you know, they're like, oh, okay. So when it gives permission for people 
to go after their dreams. But I think the other thing is that it provides opportunities. And, you know, as you grow, as you learn and develop, those are, those are skills and thoughts that you can share with the people around you. And, you know, I think like you're following in your community, how, how much have people learned and grown because of you, because you were willing to take that step, right? And to do things that were scary and to start out and, and just put yourself out there in the world and put your work out there and, you know, the ripple effect that you've had on your community. And so I think as all of us do our work, that those opportunities arise and, and we have such a, you know, we can do so much good. I agree. And uh, two things to that. So today, Rachel, you are my ripple effect and for our (laughs) listeners as well. And the second thing I want to say related to that is, yes, I'm on a mission to make a difference in the lives of one million people before I I find my way into the earth. And that is to help them better uh, activate, discover their passion, inspiration and purpose. And so the ripple effect is really important to me. That's that's phenomenal. I I love that. And you know, as, as you do your work, then you know what what benefit are those people who who are gaining benefit from you passing on to somebody else? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it, you're going to impact a million people, but then by those million people impacting others, how many exactly. people will you impact? That's that's just, exactly the point. Exactly. Um, we need to close here, but I want to give you a chance just to say, say maybe in 15 seconds, what would you like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, I'm just excited to see what people do with their unqualified journeys and, you know, just do, do the hard work, have a little faith, be brave and jump in and, um, you know, and let's support each other on the, <laughs> on the journey. Sounds good to me. Thank you so much, Rachel, for, for writing your book, being on the show, sharing yourself. Um, listeners, if you want to learn more about Rachel Stewart, visit her at unqualifiedtools.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Meredith Elliott Powell, keynote speaker and author of Own It, Redefining Responsibility, Stories of Power, Freedom, and Purpose. We talked about the new business frontier we're working in with a corporate with a corporation being defined to serve not just shareholders, but the broader community of customers, employees, suppliers, and the community. And we contrasted that to the old world of employee engagement with the new, and we helped individual employees understand how to claim their own responsibility and opportunity to claim their level of engagement and career advancement without relying on any organization to do it for them. Very inspiring conversation. Next week, we'll be on the air with Carl Monger, who's the founder of The Gallant Few, an organization which helps military professionals transition to to civilian life with purpose and well-being. See you there. Remember that work is at least one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>